vessel to teach your people. Pour out your anointing upon us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is entitled, we're in a series called Go, the Pathway to Purpose. I outlined that God has given me a vision for this church to move people along the pathway to purpose, to take you from people who just visit this church on a Sunday morning down a point and path of purpose. And God desires that we would all become his disciples. That's why this morning I've referred to you as disciples as many times, okay? So you're not just members of new life. You're not just people that are sitting in a church. If you have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then you are a disciple. And it's time that we begin to take this word and this calling seriously. So this pathway to purpose God has given me is to take people from the first point, which is salvation, to the next point, which is baptism, to the next point, which is partnership, learning your identity and your, your, your purpose while serving from this ministry. Because if he planted you here, he's going to grow you here so that you might serve here and in the world. The next step will be uh, basic instructions, life and rest. You'll learn about how to pray, how to read your Bible. This is progress I want to see you all make. The next thing is discipleship because we need to be discipled. The next thing is you will learn your spiritual gifts and how to serve the Lord in them. And finally, the last thing I expect from you is to be disciple makers. I want, and my desire is that if you belong to this ministry, God has planted you here, that if someone gives their life to the Lord, I can entrust a new soul with you. Now, you don't just let anybody babysit your kids, do you? No, no, no. You got to know who they are, right? It's the same thing with even letting your kids spend the night at someone's house. Like, you're not going just to anybody's house. I've got to know these people. So as your pastor, it's my job to know you so that I can entrust a new soul to you. I, it would be a sad, sad thing if 10 or 15 years from now you're still here but have never discipled anyone. It's his desire that we be disciples and disciple makers. So today's step, last week was salvation. And God radically saved three people on last week. Can we give God praise for that? He saved them. They heard the message of salvation and they responded in faith and God saved them. So the next step for them and the next step for any believer along the pathway to purpose is baptism. So that's what we're going to be learning about. So there might be, there might be some preaching, there might be some teaching, there might be a, a, a mixture of it. And I pray that uh, by the end of this message that you will know what the baptisms are, both the baptism of water and the baptism of fire. Amen? All right, so let's go to the beginning. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Holy Spirit, I thank you for being here. Holy Spirit, I thank you for no interruptions. Holy Spirit, I thank you for open hearts and open minds. Holy Spirit, I thank you that these people don't know it all. And that we can be receptive to every message, even if it's something that we think we know. Holy Spirit, I thank you for fresh revelation as this uh, message is taught. Lord, I thank you that even you're teaching me as uh, you've called me to teach the people. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start with the sinfulness of men. So like an animal born in a zoo, we were born into captivity. So when an animal, and I think the Columbus Zoo just had something born. I don't know what it was, okay? But it was born into captivity. It was not born out in the open. It was not born. It can't go where it pleases. It's born into captivity, right? There's cages and bars and glass and windows, and it cannot escape. So men, all right, human beings, when we're born, we're born into captivity as well. And that captivity is called sin. We're captives to sin. We're slaves to sin. And I told you last week, I never taught my kids how to steal cookies and then lie about it. I didn't teach them that lesson, but they were born prisoners of sin. It's inside of them until they are born again. Church, can you say born again? Born again, born again is a glorious event. Just like sometimes they'll take an animal that's in captivity and they'll release it, right? But they don't just release it um, without teaching it first. 
Because if they release a lion, and I don't even know if they can release some animals after they've been captive for so long, because they'll be looking for a snack. Like, when's that dude, when's that human come around with that food, right? And they see all the other lions hunting, so they have to be trained. So that is why you are here. You've been born again. You've been freed from the captivity of sin, but now you know you have to learn how to live, and that's actually going to be one of the steps uh, in the pathway to purpose. So... We, too, were born into captivity of sin until Jesus Christ came along and delivered us. So the sinfulness of men. We're in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, and it says this. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's captivity. Now, I know some of you know Christ now, but before, all of our thinking was sinful. All of our desires was sinful. Yes, I'm in the church now, but I was in the bar, right? I was in places of captivity. I wasn't in the bar because I wanted to be. I was in the bar because I was a slave to all of the sin that was living inside of me. Can you say slave? slave. The drug addict, the alcoholic, they're not, they're not bound because they want to be bound. They're bound because they are slaves to that thing that the enemy has opened up, that desire of sin living inside of them, okay? So the Lord observed this and that all of our thoughts were consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. So the sinfulness of men, it broke the heart of God. And it still does. Our sinfulness still breaks God's heart. But then there's the grace of God. Church, can you say grace? grace. Thank God for grace. Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 through 18 tell us this. But Noah found favor or grace with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. It kind of looked like that now. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. How many people? Everyone. Why? Because we were slaves to sin, okay? So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the Because it's going to stink in there, all right? Put the, boat on, put the door on the side and build three decks into the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Going to Genesis 7, 17 through 23 now. For 40 days, the flood waters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. All the living things on earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all people. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the birds of the sky. All were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat. So, Noah believed the Lord and he got on the ark, but everything beneath him died in the water, but he was lifted up and raised to life. All right? Listen again. The water washed away all that was living, 
everything on the earth, everything on land, and everything that was made of dust. So how does this correlate with baptism? All that was in the water died. But what came above and rose out of the water lived because it had a source of life. And that source of life was the grace that Noah had found. So in baptism, when you are baptized, and we'll get, this to, get to this in a moment, it is symbolic of everything that goes down into that watery grave, all fleshed. Flesh, everything made of the dust of the earth has died, right, in salvation. But when you come up out of the water, just like Noah rose above the water, we find new life. Baptism in water, what is that? Or how did it begin? Let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And it says this, In those days... John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, mm, food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now, nobody Noah preached to believed him when he said it's about to rain, even though they saw the ark. But as John began to preach, people began to believe him, and they saw their sinfulness, and they began to repent and turn to God. So no one repented during the time of Noah, although they saw the ark, okay? Now, they had not yet seen Jesus, but John began to preach of Jesus and said, there's one that's coming greater than I, and he's going to take away the sins of the world. So you need to repent and turn to God, and I'm going to baptize you in water because what you're doing is symbolic of saying, you know what? I see my sinfulness. Church, can you say this? Lord, help me. To see my sinfulness. Listen to me. Nobody repents unless you see your sinfulness. You, there's no sorrow for sin unless you can see it. So if you know for a fact in this moment that you're living in sin and it really doesn't bother you, it means that you can't see it. We need to see sin as God sees sin. And God hates sin, right? Right? You've heard it many times. He doesn't, we don't, we're not supposed to hate the sinner, but just hate the sin. But nobody hates sin more than God. So they begin to hear, the people of John's baptism begin to hear and say, you know what? I see my sin. How can I be saved? I repent. I turn from my sin. I'm no longer going to pursue sinfulness. I'm going to pursue God and I'm going to obey God. So this was not salvation only repentance and looking for the coming ark, Jesus Christ, because the kingdom of heaven was indeed near and still is today. So the people that John was baptizing, they weren't being saved. They were just repenting of their sins and their eyes are being opened to say, okay, there's a savior coming. There is an ark coming. The kingdom of God is near and we're going to believe on him. Noah, the people during Noah's age, they saw the savior. The Savior was a boat, but they didn't believe that the rain was coming. But now these people during John's age, they had their ears open to hear the message that the kingdom of God is near. Repent from your sins and be baptized. Now, let's go on to the, bapt the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. Church, say this with me. I must, I must carry, out carry out all that God, all that God 
requires. You, see, 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 you know what that is? That's freedom. That's freedom from sin, right? And that is being uh, born again unto righteousness. So the only thing I have to do is obey God. The only thing I have to do is put my confidence and trust in him. None of you, once you're born again, ever have to sin one day again in your life. You will, but you don't have to. Remember, we only sin now because we want to, not because we have to. So don't you ever say, I just had to do it. No, you did not. You chose to sin. Every believer chooses to sin because we're not slaves to sin anymore. We used to be slaves. We used to have to sin. But once you're born again, the power of sin is broken. So why in the world will we sin when the power of sin is broken? Because there's pleasure in sin. Very small, very short-lived, and the price is high. What are the wages of sin? Why do we play with death? When you play with sin, you play with death. Let's keep going here. Verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. So listen, this was not a dove that came down, right? The Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, okay, but not an actual dove, all right? So it wasn't a bird that landed on Jesus' shoulder, all right? It was the Holy Spirit that descended like a, like a, like a dove in flight, all right? It's how the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, okay? So he did not receive the anointing of a bird, okay? He received the anointing of the Holy Spirit, all right? And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So you see, the baptism of Jesus was not for repentance. Everyone that was baptized before Jesus, it was a baptism of repentance. But Jesus' baptism was not a baptism of repentance. Why? He had no sin. He's not repenting because, oh, forgive me of my sins. There is no sin in this man. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world, right? So this was not a baptism of a repentance of sin, but rather this was for obedience, empowering, and affirmation. Remember, he said, I do this, we must do this to carry out all that God requires. Listen to this. You see, we are publicly baptized to say to the world that we have died of sin and emerged as children of God. But during the baptism of Jesus Christ, the only affirmation came from God himself. You see, when people say, I want to be baptized, what they're saying is, I want to be obedient to the commands and teachings of Jesus to be baptized. And this is my public declaration to say, I have died to sin and I am now a child of God. But see, hallelujah, that was not necessary for Jesus to say any of that because the Father himself spoke at the baptism of Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. You see, the candidates for baptism, they say why they're being baptized. They say that Jesus has saved me. But when Jesus was baptized, there was no sin in him. So God is saying, see, God was pleased with every baptism prior to Jesus, but he said nothing from heaven. But he was still pleased that they were repenting of their sins, displeased the Father. But this time, this time when his son obeyed, hallelujah! You see, you have to understand this, that Jesus, as a man, maybe he struggled for a moment, you know, saying, and actually John was the one that struggled, right? Because John knew that Jesus was sinless, right? And John is thinking, listen, I'm baptizing sinners, Jesus. Like, what are you doing here? You need to be baptizing me. I'm the sinful one. But God said, Jesus says, no, we have to fulfill all that God requires us to do. And then when he was baptized, God affirmed him, and God spoke. So then why are we baptized? Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Why are people baptized after they are saved? I'll show you why. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, church, can you say baptize? Baptize. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the new age. So to answer the question, why are we baptized? The answer is because Jesus said so. That's it. Not because it's a requirement to join a church, not because everybody else is doing it and it's just what I'm supposed to do. The reason we still baptize people is because Jesus said so. Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations and baptize them, all right? Why are we baptized? It's because we have turned from sin and we are now followers of Jesus Christ who have an expectation to be taught all of his commands, and then obey him. This is what a disciple is. So this is not what church people are. This is not what religious people are. I mean, if you're coming to this church, you're free to live. Uh, you're, going, you're, going to, you're not free to live. You're going to live however you want to live. You're going to live however you want to live. But this is the expectation of God, that those who call themselves Christians and disciples and followers of God, they would be baptized, all right? And as they come out of that water, there is a new sense to them that says, now I have an expectation to be taught all of his commands and obey them, him. So my question to you, church, is if you know the commands of Jesus Christ, are you obeying them? That's what a disciple is. I am being taught because this is what Jesus said at the commissioning of the disciples, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. Then what? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach, this is what Jesus said. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands. So in this outline of the church that he is now calling us to become, there will be classes to teach people how to be disciples. Why? Because Jesus said so. Church, the church, his church has to now become, I don't know when it got off course, but it has to now become the church that he placed upon a rock, right? That is where we will be successful. That is where the gates of hell will not prevail against our marriages, against our finances, that the, the, the demonic power that comes against us will fall flat. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we become the church that Jesus Christ established from the beginning, the disciples, all right? So what does water baptism symbolize? Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 11, all right? Because if you're not going to live out the reason for your bap getting baptized, then all we are really doing is getting sinners wet. If you have no real heart to follow God, when you get baptized, then all we're doing is going through a religious ceremony. A baptism is an outward expression of what has already happened on the inside of you. And you should feel new and you should experience, you should be experiencing new life. You should be one with Christ. The power of sin should be broken. So let's see what, see water baptism symbolizes what salvation does. Say it again. Water baptism simply is symbolic of what salvation does for a person on the inside of them. Let's hear what Romans 6, 3, 11 has to say. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of his father, remember how Noah was raised from all that was dying under him by the glorious power of God? It's saying that Jesus was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the father. Now we also may have new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know, church, can you say, I know. So you need a revelation. I know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So if you're born again, that means that you have an old sinful self. But the problem is this. 
there's so many times that religious people or church people, uh, they only have an expression or a religion of the new self one time a week when they come in this building. But otherwise, they're still living that old, sinful life. So there should be a, when it comes to your life with Jesus Christ, there should be a B.C. and an A.D. The B.C. is before Christ. And the A.D. is after death, after you died to sin. Our problem, our struggle is that some of us have not truly died to sin. It's time that you begin to ask yourselves a question and say, have I really experienced salvation? Or did I simply just pray a prayer because the preacher told me to pray a prayer? Have I truly experienced salvation? Now, when a mother is pregnant and after nine months she has that baby, there is evidence that the one who was pregnant is not pregnant anymore. They now have a new child. So when you are born again, there should be radical evidence that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Everything you used to do, you don't do anymore. If you used to cuss people out, you shouldn't be going around cussing people out still because that's the old you, right? That was before Christ you. Why are we still going back to these spiritual zombies where we're supposed to be new in Christ, but we act like we were before Christ still? So if you're really saved, nobody that's not really saved goes to heaven. You've got to be born again. That's what your Bible says. You must be born again. Don't think that just coming to church and putting money in the bucket, don't think that just saying prayers or watching Joyce Meyer twice a week gets you to heaven. You've got to be, you get to heaven by being radically saved and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. During baptism, there is no power in that water. The power is what happened before you got in the water. The power has, hallelujah, something has already radically happened to you. This is just symbolic of what happened to you when you received the salvation of Jesus Christ and the new spirit. Let's continue. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. You see, that's the key. Sin loses its power when you're born again. I don't have to get drunk. I don't have to cuss anyone out. I don't have to have uh, relationships with women outside of marriage or before marriage. You don't have to do any of those things. You might want to do them because still you're still in this earth and all that is in this world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But when you're born again, you've got power over your own spirit. You've got power over your soul. You don't have to sin. So the question we must ask ourselves, if you keep falling into sin and you have no power over sin, the question you need to ask yourself is, have I really been born again? Because if you've really been born again, you have the same righteousness as Jesus Christ. Did Jesus sin on this earth? Do you have to sin on this earth? Don't you ever say you have to sin. And don't you ever say, the devil made me do it. The devil doesn't make anybody sin. He does not have that power. Just like Jesus could not force you into righteousness, the devil cannot force you into sin. We go into righteousness willingly, and we go into sin willingly as well. All right? Let's keep going. For when we died with Christ and were set free from the power of sin, and since we died with Christ, we will live also with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. The wages of sin is death. He paid all of the wages, right? So now death has no power over him. Verse 10, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Can you say this with me? Born again disciples. I am a born again disciple. And the power of sin has been broken inside of me through the death of Jesus Christ. I have been baptized 
into his death. And I have been raised with power. I don't have to sin. Sin's power is broken in me. Now let's say hallelujah about that. You don't have to smoke. You don't have to search those websites you don't, you're not supposed to be on. You don't have to lust. You choose to do all of these things. The power of sin has been broken. Verse 10, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So let's review. Everything beneath Noah died in the water, but he was lifted up, raised to life. So baptism symbolizes that we have went down into a grave just as Christ did, but then we are raised to life just as he was. The flood washed away all that was living on the earth, the land, the dust. So in baptism, our bodies are being submerged in water, symbolizing that our souls have been washed in the cleansing power of Jesus. Everything during the flood that was in the water, except, of course, the fish and the whales, every land animal, everything that the breath of life was in through the air died. So listen to me. When you receive salvation and you enter into the baptism of the death of Jesus Christ, everything that has to do with your carnal nature, everything that has to do with the dust of the earth, everything that has to do with the lust that lives inside of you is supposed to die with Jesus Christ. And then you are raised to new life. So you're able to say, it is no, oh, hallelujah. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's what a Christian is. I don't know when Christian became, you could tie so many other things to Christian, lustful Christian, uh, homosexual Christian, uh, all, all these sinful lifestyles that claim Christianity. You are not a Christian unless, Jesus, listen to me, you're not a Christian unless Jesus lives inside of you. And if Jesus lives inside of you, the world's going to know it by the way that you love others, by the way that you carry yourself by the power over sin that's been broken in your lives. Please stop calling yourselves Christians and living sinful lifestyles. You're confusing the world. The world is confused when you say you're a Christian, but you still say and do everything that they do. You're a testimony against the very thing that you claim. Now, we will make mistakes. We will fall down sometimes. But we don't live sinful lifestyles anymore. The sinful lifestyle has been buried with Christ. Too many Christian zombies walking around. What's a Christian zombie? Okay, my old carnal nature was supposed to be buried with Christ. But when I'm up walking around, it's the sinful me again. Full of lust, full of sin, full of jealousy, full of hatred. So all the works of the what? Flesh. All the works of the flesh have been reincarnated because I am no longer being obedient or subject to the power of God living on the inside of me. Let's keep going. If this is your first time here, I'm not yelling at you. I'm not mad either. I just get very excited about truth because truth makes people free. And this is your opportunity to receive truth today. Because you will stand before God and, and this moment will testify against you. You'll say, well, God, I just really couldn't beat that habit. You know, I just really couldn't beat sin. It was just so powerful in my life. You don't know what happened to me. You, don't, you just don't, oh, really? I'm God. I know everything. And I know that the power of sin has been broken in your life. Let's continue this. So. We must remain submerged in his death. So no more zombies up walking around. We must remain submerged in his death so that we can be sustained by his life. We can't breathe underwater, so we must stay submerged and live in him. 
You see, humans are dependent upon air when they swim, so they come up for water. But as new creations in Christ, we must stop coming up for lust and stay in love. If we've been baptized into his death, then we no longer live by the passions of our flesh and our sinful desires. So why do we keep coming up for lust? What's that all about? It means that we've got two loves. And God says you can't serve two masters. You got to choose one. So listen, we are not some kind of um, creation in which, see, Jesus, Jesus made a new creation out of us and not any other creation that's partly godly and still partly sinful. When he does it, it's complete. When he saves you, it's complete. When he fills you with his holiness, it's complete. Now, you will fall because we're silly humans, right? We're still being made in his image day by day, dying to ourselves day by day. We're going to make some mistakes. But the true, the true mark of a believer, the true mark of a follower of Jesus Christ is that when they make a mistake, they repent. So, so just see, just see, we're supposed to be buried in Christ. But every time you sin, you come up out of the water. You come up out of that death. Because when we're dead in Christ, the power of sin is broken. But when you come up for lust out of the water, when you come up out of the new life and go back into the old and you sin, the true mark of a believer and a Christian should be sorrow. Oh, God, I, why did I do this again? Oh, God, forgive me. Lord, I repent. And then what happened? So we came up out of the water. We came up out of the new life for lust. So as humans, we come up for air because we can't stay underwater very long. But as new creations in Christ, we're supposed to stay in death, stay in that baptism of death that Jesus suffered on the cross. But every once in a while, we come back up. See, that was love that did that. So we got to stay submerged in his love. But every once in a while, we come up for lust. In that moment, we, forget, we ask God to forgive us, and we repent, and what does he do? He says, okay, come back into my death. Come back into my love. Come back into my power. You should not, if, when, when, a, when a Christian sins, it's because they came up out of the love of God, and they were drawn by the lust of their flesh, all right? Our bodies are still submerged in him, but what is a backslider then? A backslider is a person that leaves the water completely and just goes up on land and starts to live that old sinful carnal life again. They leave it behind. Does Christ leave them behind? No, he's married to the backslider, loves them, wants them so desperately to come back to him. So that's why we must pray for them. And we must ourselves not be considered backsliders. A backslider is a very dangerous lifestyle to live because we grieve the Holy Spirit when we backslide. When we know we're supposed to be Christians, but still we live sinful lifestyles, the Holy Spirit is uh, grieved because he's saying, come back to God. Come back to God. And after a while, if we do not, what God will do is turn us over to a reprobate mind, meaning, okay, I'm not going to plead with you anymore. I'm going to allow your mind to stay here. You want to be carnal? You want, you want to have a carnal mind? And you already know that the carnal mind leads to what? Death. But the spiritual mind leads to what? Life and peace. Amen? I don't know why I got stuck there for a moment, but God wanted to push someone out of that lifestyle of being a backslider. Stop. Backsliders can come to church, right? And people that are full of the Holy Spirit can come to church as well, right? But backsliders cannot live to please God. You've got to return to him and submit yourself to him again. So Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh all right, because it's dead, all right? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So 
when you're a real Christian, a genuine disciple. So that's why I'm leaning more towards calling you disciples than Christians because Christians have taken on so many different meanings. Christians out there doing everything, right? But not disciples. Disciples are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They follow his commands, okay? So when we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in God's son. Something else you have to know about the symbolic nature of baptism is when a baby is born, the mother's water must break. And as we are born again, coming out of the water symbolizes the new birth we have experienced. However, this time we have been born of the Spirit. So isn't that amazing that in baptism you come up out of the water representing that new life that you have in Christ? And even when a baby is born, they have to come out of the water, right? Sorry for that. Sometimes it's not good to talk with your hands, I guess. John 3, 6 says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life, all right? So, that's water baptism. You see, men baptize in water, but Jesus baptizes in what? Fire or the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost. Let's go to Acts chapter 11, verses 11 through 18. I've only got a few more passages and we're done. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where they were staying, where we were staying. This is Peter talking. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. You see, uh, Peter initially was sent with the message of salvation to the Jews, and Paul was sent to the Gentiles. But God gave Peter a vision, uh, all right, and now he's telling him to give the message to Gentiles. So these six brothers here accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of a man who had sent us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in the household can be saved. As I begin to speak, what a powerful statement. And you see, this is why when you read the Bible, you've got to invite the Holy Spirit along to hold your hand and highlight things for you. It's like when you have the Holy Spirit there to lead you and guide you into truth, when you read the Bible, it's almost like you're there. It's almost like you can see it happening. You can feel the environment. It just becomes real to you because the word of God is real and true. As I begin to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he had fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Going back to what Peter said at the beginning, it says, Peter said that as he began to speak, verse 15 says, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. So we got to ask ourselves, what was Peter speaking? He was speaking the message of the cross. He was speaking Jesus to them. And as I begin to speak, it said the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to be saved before the Holy Spirit's going to fall upon you. So at what point were these men saved? As Peter was speaking, something was happening to these people as they heard it. Their ears were open and their faith was engaged and they received the message of Jesus Christ that he is Lord and he is a son of God and he has come to save men from their sins and give them eternal life. So at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Peter said that God gave them the same gift he gave them when we believe. So who was the gift? The Holy Spirit. Who was the giver? God. Galatians 3.2 says this. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. 
You received the spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. You received the spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Now, in some religious circles, and uh, people are taught that you don't receive the Holy Spirit till somewhere down the line after salvation. And that is not true because salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, no man can even be drawn to the Lord. So the Bible says here that they were, that the Holy Spirit fell on them when Peter began to speak and they received salvation. So listen to me. Once you're saved, you don't have to go around begging God for the Holy Spirit. This goes against some of our teaching, but it's the truth. You don't have to beg for five hours somewhere, sweating and spitting on people, right? Asking God to give you the Holy Spirit. It's a gift that comes upon you with salvation because how are you going to be able to follow Christ without the Holy Spirit? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? As he preached to them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. All right, so even before baptism in water, we are able to experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, water baptism is just symbolic of what has already occurred, right? Water baptism isn't a new spiritual experience. It can be for some, but I'm saying that um, not everybody that went to heaven or that goes to heaven went through the water as well. The thief on the cross. Did Jesus say, wait, 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 wait. This man must be baptized first. He did not say that. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. We can't raise up baptism to the same level of salvation in Jesus Christ. So baptism is only symbolic. It, it, Jesus said do it. So don't, don't, don't send me any emails after church saying, Jesus said do it. That's why we do it, right? But baptism in water does not have the same power. Be careful. Baptism in water does not have the same power as the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what cleanses us from our sin. Baptism simply shows us what has happened to us on the inside. It's a public acknowledgement that I have been born again, that Jesus has washed away my sins, and I am a new creature. I am going down into the water, symbolizing being baptized in the death of Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, by standing in the water, by standing in the water, you say, you know what? I have died to the old life by just being in the baptism, baptismal. All right. When you go down, you're baptized into his death. Okay. And when you rise up, you are it's symbolic of Jesus rising up from the grave as well. So baptism, very important, but not equal to the blood of Jesus Christ. All right. I feel like I'm going to get some emails. So anyway, the promise of the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15 through 18 says this. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So the baptism of water, when it first started, was a baptism of repentance. That was John's baptism. Now we have the baptism of Jesus Christ who baptizes us with his Holy Spirit. And of course, there's the, 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 the expressions of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon us and fills him with himself. There's the gifts and all those wonderful things that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. But as soon as you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit as well. That's his promise. All right. So the power of the Holy Spirit is what I'm going to close with. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses about the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I said that when you're baptized in water, 
It symbolizes what has happened to you during salvation. But now what happens to you? What's the evidence that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to release something in us. And what it's going to release in us is the power of God. Can you say power? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about God's indwelling power. Because when you get baptized in water, guess what? You leave that water behind. You don't take that water around with you everywhere, right? But when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, he says, I will never leave you. I will be a resident God. I will not abandon you. You will not be an orphan. So the evidence that you've received salvation is that you have received the Holy Spirit. But you have to have a revelation of who the Holy Spirit is so that you are more uh, equipped and enabled to begin to operate in his power. Acts 1 and 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Romans 5, 5 says this, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So if you've received salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well, then your heart should be filled with the love of God. Romans 8, 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So if you have welcomed the Holy Spirit's ministry into your life, because we receive that gift of the Holy Spirit at salvation, but the ministry of the Holy Spirit must be welcomed in your life. It must be received into your life. And it says that when we have the Holy Spirit, we're controlled, our thinking is controlled, and we think about things that please the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in word. So the Holy Spirit is a prayer partner as well, and that's one thing that the church has to get back to is being known as the house of prayer. Church, we need to be praying more and worrying less. Finally, Romans 15, 13. You can stand for this one. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if, since you have, not if you have, if you've been born again, you have him. So since you have the Holy Spirit, you should be filled with confident hope. Hope of what? Hope of your eternal salvation and security. Hope that when the news keeps beating us down with bad news, doesn't matter what the news is saying. I am filled with confident hope. Church, can you say this with me? I am filled with confident hope. Okay, so since you have the Holy Spirit, you should always be hopeful. Stop singing the blues. Stop singing the blues about gas prices. Stop singing the blues about uh, the economy. Stop singing the blues, okay? The children of God who are filled with his Holy Spirit, we don't sing the blues, right? We're not down about a thing because we are filled with a confident hope in our God. Put your hands on your heart and make this declaration. Say this with me. I am filled with the confident hope in my God, in Jesus' name. All right, Father, I thank you for these people that have gathered today and have heard about your baptisms. God, if I have misrepresented anything, and I don't believe I have, forgive me. 
If I need a deeper revelation of anything, give it to me so I can give it to them. But I believe I have spoke on your behalf, and I believe I have spoke with this, what the Scripture uh, tells us about the baptism in water and the baptism or the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit, although you're a gift, there's room for more. Hear me on this. The Holy Spirit is a gift given to us at salvation when we believe on Jesus Christ. But there's room for more because Paul said, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. I know that the Holy Spirit coming upon us gave us a capacity to be filled. Say, Lord, please hear this. The gift of the Holy Spirit gives you capacity to be filled with the power of God. But it's up to you to live a life of consecration and forget not to forget that your body is the temple of God. So how much Holy Spirit do you desire to dwell in your temple? We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that require? It requires that we submit and surrender ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Oh God, we belong to you. We do not belong to the world anymore. We are not children of disobedience who follow Satan anymore. We are not under his power. I declare now in the name of Jesus Christ that none of us are under the power of the enemy. For Jesus Christ came to the world for this reason, to destroy the works of Satan. And I declare now in Jesus' name that anyone in here that wants to quit smoking, that you stop now in the name of Jesus Christ, that you don't touch another one. Anyone that wants to stop drinking, that you dry up now, that the, the thirst for it be gone now in Jesus' name. I'm talking to believers right now, believers that have been struggling with sin. I come against pornography now in the name of Jesus Christ, and I declare that you are free from the power of that sin. I, I, I come man lying to stop now in Jesus name those that are liars God that power of lying be broken adulterers the power of adultery be, be broken the lustful the power of lust be broken in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ himself you don't have to sin we break depression now in Jesus name depression leave leave now in the name of Jesus for we are filled with a confident hope. Hope come upon your sons and daughters now. Joy come upon your sons and your daughters now in Jesus name. I speak to cancer in this place now and say cancer die in the name of Jesus Christ. You will live and you will not die. Nobody dies from cancer in here. We will die of old age we will die when we are well lived. We will die when the Lord says it is our time to come home. Our place has been prepared. Cancer, we break your power in this region. Cancer, we break your power in this territory. Cancer, you are not a God that we will bow down to anymore. Cancer is not the big C. Jesus Christ is the big C. Cancer, you are the little C and you are under our feet. We take authority over all sickness in this place now in Jesus' name. High blood pressure come down now in the name of Jesus. Blood sugar be regulated now in the name of Jesus because Lord those diseases speak of death and you said the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life so we speak life over the body of Christ. God I pray Pray that you would touch our hunger. God, many times these diseases are associated with 
with bad eating. So God, would you begin to cleanse our palate? Help us to long not for the saturated fats and those unhealthy things, God, that seem to be so flavorful, but bring death to our bodies. God, take us back to the beginning. Take us back to the garden. Show us the food that you have made for us, God. Show the food that speaks life to us, God. Bring color back to our diets. Bring variety, things of nature. Bring them back to our palates, God. Help us to stop hungering for sugar. Help it break the sugar addiction off of us now in the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to crave only that which is good for our bodies, for we are not a slave to sugar. We are not a slave to fast food. We're not a slave to anything, God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we got to care for these temples. These natural houses must be cared for as well. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this 